Hey, everybody. Welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach Brittle. I'm here with Laura Heck. We are here today with Melissa Orlov. Melissa literally wrote the book on ADHD and marriage. This is a topic that's been coming into my office more and more and more. This conversation is amazing in the sense that Melissa offers uh, new and essential insights into how to manage this diagnosis uh, within the context of a relationship. I am really glad to have found her. I think you will be too if this is part of your life at all. I'll encourage you to check out her book. I'll encourage you to check out her website, which has workshops. Um, But for now, this is a very cool conversation. Stick around. I don't know if this is real or if this is imagined, but I feel like every third inquiry I get into my practice involves some kind of neurodiversity question around whether ADHD or whatever it is that may be impacting the relationship. I'm here in Seattle. For some reason, I have a lot of nurses that are married to software designers. And so it's sort of, they have this, <laughs> high, they have this high, you know, empathy, bedside manner sort of thing. And then they have this other kind of hyper-focused, I'm really good at this one thing kind of thing. But what, I, hmm. what I'm really excited about is just like, literally, I just wanted you to tell me everything there is I'm supposed to know about ADHD and marriage because I... <laughs> Can you just download all of your years of knowledge? <laughs> it's the yes. elevator speech. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, there's I'm a, happy um, to do that. So let's just get going. Well, you know, you, you, that kind of a, a startup or whatever you want, you know, I see a lot of folks that might have ADHDs or are neurodiverse. It's a great start. Well, okay. Can I just ask like, one, you've been doing, you have been in the game for a very long time, um, very long time. And uh, I'm wondering like, why were you compelled to start working with individuals, with couples way back when in like the early 2000s, if I remember correctly from my research, but um, why did you get started? Uh, Because my ex has ADHD. Yeah. I actually started yeah. Yeah. But I also started, um, I, I actually, my previous life, I did marketing and I was doing marketing for Ned Hallowell and John Rady, who are two of the top ADHD experts in the country. They were at that time um, uh, giving s- online seminars before it was popular to do so uh, to uh, support professionals who wanted to learn about this because it just simply wasn't taught in the um, programs for licensure and stuff. And so people who wanted, you know, had to come do it another way. So, so I was um, helping him uh, get this, the news out about this and, and get people um, going. And Hallowell, mm-hmm. uh, she's in, she's in Seattle now, isn't she? The Hallowell Terraro so, Center is here. Uh, yeah, the Hallowell Todaro Center, that's Leslie Todaro, who runs the whole West Coast operation. Ned Hallowell and John Rady are the authors of uh, many, many books about ADHD, including Driven to Distraction, which is one of the great classics that came out in, I think, 95, and then uh, Delivered from Distraction, which was about adult ADHD, that's 2005. And so they were right in the heart of this and really the top experts um, in this field. So I started uh, helping them, and then I thought, well, okay, I was applying what I was learning that the professionals were also learning uh, to my own relationship, and good things happened. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe some other people would benefit from this. So I just started blogging about it, Uh, and the uh, blog absolutely took off. And it got to uh, be so big that I thought, well, nobody can find any information on this. And so I wrote a book. And the book also took off. It got reviewed by the New York Times um, well 
uh, people Tara Parker Pope, and it took off. And so that sort of launched something that I had no, I didn't actually plan to go into this. I just thought, oh, well, I'll <laughs> share this information with a few people. And then it just, it was so necessary. And there's a huge need for assistance in this. And ADHD plays a big yeah. role in relationships. Uh, and so that's what I've spent my time doing. It's been wonderful. I really love the work. I actually want to talk about two separate things because there's, they are, right? ADHD is its own thing. And ADHD in a marriage is a, sec is a second thing. Um, and how do you understand or define or how do you orient people? What is the elevator speech that you offer anyone in terms of trying to understand what exactly is ADHD and how does it, how does it show up or what is its impact on the person? Never mind yet quite the relationships, but how do you understand it? Well, so the, um, the things that define ADHD are spelled out um, uh, in terms of what the symptoms are. So the primary symptom of adult ADHD is chronic distractibility. That means yeah. that your, your attention is drawn to whatever is immediate or feels urgent or is interesting or rewarding. And so your attention sort of bops all over. Uh, also difficulty planning and organizing. So you might promise or you know genuinely think you're going to do something and then you have trouble actually getting to it. Um, time uh, uh, management issues is a big issue for people who have ADHD. Uh, they lose track of time or they misestimate how long it's going to take them to do something. Uh, there are memory issues, particularly working memory issues, holding multiple things in your brain at the same time in order to manipulate them. Uh, and then uh, there's uh, emotional dysregulation, um, uh, very big emotions very quickly. Uh, that can include the negative emotions like anger or rage, or it can also include overwhelm or anxiety, uh, as well as, you know, being really excited about something and really pursuing yeah. it um, and focusing on it intensely. Uh, and so uh, ADHD is, and sometimes it includes impulsivity and hyperactivity. So there are sort of a number of different symptoms. But the bottom line is that it has a huge impact on the people who have it across literally all areas of their lives. And so as they become adults and they have more and more tasks and things that they have to take care of in order to have a job, hold a job, have a family, have a home, all of that stuff, it becomes more and more onerous. Uh, and, uh, and it's really very difficult. Um, the statistics on the relationships, the primary relationships that people with uh, ADHD have, is that um, uh, close to 60% of those relationships uh, are what's called maladjusted. Um, they're struggling. Uh -huh. And so that's why people who work in marital therapy run into a lot of people with ADHD. Even though um, since many professionals are not really trained in the area, they may not realize that that's what's going on. So it's a yeah. it's a really critical um, marital or partnership problem for adults that is really just coming to the forefront now. When you were talking about a lot of the symptoms, the first thing that came to mind is how is it impacting the relationship? And because Zach and I both have the framework or the background of Dr. Gottman's work, that's what we're both clinically trained in. Um, I think about the trust system and the bidding system and how that is just kind of really lacking, which is I reach for you. And that's a little bit of uh, emotion focused therapy. Zach, Sue Johnson. Thank you. Sue Johnson's work of will you be there for me? So when I reach for you, you're not there. And so I'm just wondering 
um, where else is it impact? Where else are you finding in relationships that there's a massive impact when one or both partners, gosh, I can't even imagine both partners having ADD and trying to make that work. That seems like that would be quite the maladjusted relationship. Um, so I'll just, I'll pass it over of how does this impact the relationship? That's my long-winded well, question. It impacts, yeah, it impacts it in a huge number of ways. So, um, first of all, most adults who have ADHD do not realize that they have it. The current estimate uh. is about 80% of adults who have ADHD are unaware of it. And so you have all of these symptoms, but you don't know what's going on. You don't have a, a name for it. And so you haven't been addressing it. So they're just sort of stomping around in your life. And, um, and that creates problems because among other things, you misinterpret things. So the other partner, for example, if you have ADHD and you're chronically distracted, in the case of ADHD, what that means is you are not paying much attention to your partner. Once you get, right. there's a there's a courtship phase, which is extremely hyper-focused because courtship has lots of extra dopamine. And ADHD is actually about the neurochemistry of the brain, including low levels of dopamine. So when you have the infatuation, it covers up the ADHD. Uh, and so, so they have, you go through this intense courtship phase and then it drops off because that goes away. Yes. And then you're going like, what happened? I uh -huh. have no idea. And, uh, and so there's this, this period of confusion and resentment and, uh, you know, wondering, but if your partner's chronically distracted and you don't know about the ADHD, you're likely to think, oh, my, par my partner doesn't love me anymore, or my partner is angry at me or whatever. And you misinterpret and you go back and you start to say, you know, don't you love me anymore? Of course I love you. Uh, you know, there are these conversations. And then you pursue uh -huh. because your partner has this chronic distraction. It doesn't go away because you ask your partner to pay more attention to you. It's part of how their brain is working unless they're managing their ADHD actively. And so it gets worse and worse. And eventually the pursuit uh, in the pursuit retreat patterns that you know of from Gottman, the pursuit um, gets more and more aggressive, and then you start. Then that person starts to um, push back, or escape, or fight, or whatever, and they get these negative downward spirals. And there are many examples of misinterpreting the ADHD symptoms that end up in negative um, spirals that become very emotionally laden. For example, trouble following through on tasks. Uh -huh. If you cannot follow through on tasks, you make the promise. You absolutely mean, yes, of course, I'm going to do X. And then the symptoms get in the way and you don't do X. And it happens again and again and again. And you have conversations right. about it with your partner. And you go, I really feel badly about this. And there's a lot of shame issues, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, <clears throat> and it keeps, and then the partner starts to go, well, my partner must not care about me because <laughs> they keep promising and then not doing this stuff. And so there are many different areas. It starts to impact your sex life. Um, it certainly impacts trust, right? Because Gottman's, the very first part of Gottman's trust equation is transparency. And transparency <laughs> means, among other things, you're going to do what you promise you're going to do. And, and that the symptoms interfere with that. And the misinterpretation yeah. is, oh, my partner doesn't actually really care about me. It's very injurious to the relationship. 
the spirit of self-care, today's sponsor, One Skin, is here to help you simplify your skincare regimen. It was founded by four PhDs dedicated to skin longevity. One Skin proves that you don't need a complicated routine to achieve better skin. Their topical supplements make it easy to help your skin stay longer and healthier without all of the extra steps. So what is their secret? One Skin's proprietary OS1 peptide. So it's the first ingredient scientifically proven to reduce the buildup of senescent cells. Don't worry, I'm gonna tell you about what those are. They are these notorious zombie cells that contribute to skin aging. So fewer zombie cells means healthier, younger looking skin with fewer lines, wrinkles, reduced age spots, and a stronger natural barrier. Something that's really important this time of year. So let me just pause for a second because I keep reading all about these zombie cells. They're popping up everywhere, including this book I'm reading right now called Outlive. So with age, cells experience senescence. It's a state where your cells just stop growing, but they continue to release this inflammatory tissue degrading molecules. So when a person is young, the immune system responds and they eliminate these senescent cells often referred to as zombie cells. But with age, these senescent cells, they stick around in our body and they begin to wreak havoc, including our skin, because hello, our skin is the largest organ in the body. So as you can imagine, the buildup of all of these stale, stubborn cells, it looks like, that's right, aging. This is revolutionary, y'all. It's a product that's proven to actually reduce the buildup. One Skin is more than just skincare, it's skin longevity. It's targeting the root causes of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. So all of you, you get to get started today with 15% off using our code MTR at oneskin.co. It's C-O. That's 15% off at oneskin, O-N-E, skin.co with code MTR. So after your purchase, they're going to ask you, where did you hear about them? So please support our show. Let them know that Marriage Therapy Radio sent you. It's time to expect more from your skincare routine. So invest in your health of your skin with One Skin. You said something that I actually was sort of tucked in there a little bit, and it maybe was along the lines of unless the ADHD is actively managed. I feel like sometimes I tell people, who asking me about this coming into couples therapy, like, can you help me with this? And I'm like, well, kind of, it depends really on whether or not you're doing the work of addressing the ADHD itself, you know? And I wonder if that, is that, is that sound advice? Is that what I should be saying to people or, and what does that even mean? Yeah, absolutely. So with any couples work period, both uh-huh. people have to be engaged with it. Um, but when you don't know about the ADHD, um, by the time they get to your office, they're probably really struggling. And one of the impacts, if you say, hey, maybe we should investigate ADHD here, um, the ADHD partner may feel as if there's, they're, you're looking to label them in order to be able to blame them for all the things that have been going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't want to take that on. And so they're pretty res- they can be pretty resistant. Other people are like, oh, my God, yay, there's finally... <laughs> You know, an explanation, that's great. Um, so it's a sensitive topic. And what I find is it's really important for people to get educated about what ADHD is, how it's part of the neurochemistry of the brain, how these are a set of symptoms. It isn't representative. It's not personal. It's not representative of how you feel about each other. It is actually about the fact that this is the way this brain works. This is a neurodiverse relationship. 
and uh, and you are much more different from each other than you think you are. So you think uh-huh. you know what your partner's motivations are, for example, based upon your own motivations, and that's not actually at all how it works uh, in in a neurodiverse relationship. Um, and there are things that go on for people who have ADHD that are completely foreign to people who don't. For example, there's research recently that says that kids who have ADHD get 20,000 incremental critiques by the time they're 12, right? So if you think about that, (sighs) that is growing up in an atmosphere where the people who are interacting with you at that age are your parents, your coaches, your teachers, your friends, people who are supposed to be on your side. And essentially, the message that you're getting is you do stuff wrong and you're not very good at it. And these people come away. Adults with ADHD tend to have deep wells of shame or low self-esteem or whatever. And they bring that to their relationships. So they're Uh. very sensitive to anything that's a critique. And so Uh. if you say, say to them, well, perhaps ADHD is part of the issue here and they're not completely on board with it, there's conversation that has to happen there about how it's really good news to know that ADHD is in your relationship and that you can manage it. It's one of the most manageable issues there is out there in the mental health field. And uh, okay. But it's definitely not just about taking medication. Huh. First of all, I have to just say my mind is blown. You have thrown some things at me that have just absolutely transformed the way I think about people in my life, couples that I'm seeing. Um, I'm wondering what is the role of the partner who is, yeah, (laughs) we were not mentioning that. Um, but I'm also wondering what is the role of the partner? I'm imagining you just mentioned one thing, which is educating yourself, um, and understanding, you know, like not having certainty of what your partner's brain is like, what they're thinking, what their assumptions are, but also what are you teaching when you're working with couples, the non-neurodiverse client? Or person in the relationship? What's their role? Well, so the neurotypical partner, so one of the things that happens is the symptoms are defined by the fact that you have ADHD. The other partner has responses to those symptomatic behaviors that are predictable because they're just very human responses. So I talked uh. before about a partner's chronic distractibility And then the response to that feeling unloved, right? That is the human (laughs) response, understandable. If your partner's not paying attention to you, you wonder what's wrong. So there are these very predictable responses, extremely predictable, uh, that when people read my first book, they say, what were you like living in our house? How do you know all this stuff? It's because the (laughs) patterns are really the same. And, um, And so... Uh, You have to, A, educate both partners about what's going on. But one of the most common patterns is something that I call parent-child dynamics. So it's a little Uh bit like the pursuer uh, retreat thing for Gottman, but I call it parent-child because it really takes that kind of format. You have a, a manager, parental person in the relationship who feels that they must take care of everything because the other partner is unreliable and the life feels chaotic, and so they're trying to wrap their arms around it and control it, and that uh, that becomes sort of a parental role, and eventually it can become emotionally abusive. Um, then you have this underperforming because of the ADHD symptoms that aren't being managed. This underperforming, childlike, less lower status person in the relationship 
And uh, and they do eventually over time things like become defiant or or escape or um, try to move out of what feels very uncomfortable to them around these interactions around everyday life. Um, so so one of the things that I talk to um, and always talk to non ADHD partners about is let's look at the relative status this parent child dynamic and Honestly. let's let's get each person responsible for fixing their part of that dynamic if you're a person with adhd and you say look i don't want to take responsibility make me a list i'll just do whatever uh you know that's childlike behavior if you say if the other person is like you must do this why didn't you do that i'm going to follow up on your deadlines you're not, you know you're never reliable that's parenting mm -hmm. behavior both partners have to really own it and start to take it on. And so I work a lot when I first start with a couple on that kind of interaction. Wow. Yes. Couples need to work on that stuff. How how do you point them in the right direction? I mean, you you mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, take managing ADHD isn't simply about taking medication. Do you does, is medication a critical part of the equation? And after it is or isn't, you know, factored in, what what how do you help couples navigate through the challenges that cre are created by these dynamics? Yeah. So I have I've put together a three-legged treatment approach. So the first awesome. two legs are things that visit, yeah, physiologically change the brain. Um, medication is one of those things, but not the only one. But we, that okay. are known through research to help change the way the brain is functioning if you have ADHD. The second uh, leg is about behavioral changes that the ADHD partner puts into place. Typically, these are structures. Um, the ADHD brain is pretty it's un unstructured internally. It's, it's sort of <laughs> has a lot of stuff going on. Hierarchies are difficult to create, et cetera. Um, and so these are things like reminders, lists, calendars, uh, exercise buddies, whatever you need to do to structure it so that you have a framework into which you can keep yourself more organized. And then the third leg is, and those two legs are, are researched a lot. And the research is very clear. Doing both of those legs is better than only doing one of them. And then the third uh, leg is interactive strategies. I've done a lot of work in there. And I tend to take people's work, like Gottman's work and whatever, and modify it for the, for the very specific issues that ADHD couples um, face. Uh, and so I, I, if, if your listeners are interested, I have a free treatment ebook on my homepage that they can go and download if they want to, um, about the structure, how to optimize management of adult ADHD. I'm not a doctor, so it doesn't, it doesn't include that kind of stuff, but it provides this framework uh -huh. and what you have to think about to get an evaluation and that kind of stuff. So you have this three legged, um, approach and you should use strategies from each of the approaches. So the person with the ADHD, mm -hmm. their job is to manage the ADHD so that they're more reliable, right? And that includes managing emotional content, which is very important, calming the relationship, as well as their ability to be dependable if they agree to something and they should have the right not to. And in parent-child, often they don't feel they do. So, mm -hmm. but they should, they should find a structure that works for them so that much of the time they follow through as they think they're going to follow through, that that structure supports them. The work on the other side is stop managing, learn to deal with your anxiety about this stuff, start coordinating instead of dictating. Huh. And 
um, come to terms with some of the grief and the emotions that you're feeling about the fact that you're in unexpectedly in a relationship that is neurodiverse and isn't what you expected, right? What you expect is what you got in your hyper-focused courtship, which was, you know, you were the moon, the stars, the sun, everything mm-hmm. all wrapped up in one. Pretty exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting. And then it falls away and you actually have a person who struggles to, um, to step up in the relationship, even if they're really successful at work. Um, you know, if they're seeing you guys, it's because they're struggling. I, I'm kind of hooked on this question talk about focus, where you talked about the dopamine um, of being in the courtship phase and that limerence of first falling in love and having more dopamine. And then as your relationship evolves, less dopamine where there's more behaviors. Is that correct? Like the less dopamine, more behaviors from the neurodiverse um, person in the relationship. Uh, I'm kind of wondering about that interplay as far as... um, just over time, because I, I, I just read the book Dopamine Nation. I don't know if you've read it. And I just thought, found it so fascinating. And I'm thinking about dopamine a lot. But are there other ways? Because I'm thinking about, okay, if dopamine was great, behaviors were great. Or I guess it was, I, I, can you explain a little bit more about the very beginning of the relationship and why dopamine was sort of masked, masking those behaviors at the very beginning? Yeah. So I cannot remember, and I wish I could, the title of this of this book. But there's a scientist who has studied the chemistry of love, essentially, mm, okay. um, and uh, wrote a book about it. And it's like why we love, or something like that. You guys could look it up. But um, Helen, maybe I don't know. Fish? No, I don't know. Anyway, um, so <clears throat> there is a the chemistry of of attachment, human attachment is that dopamine, which is part of the reward and attention systems, um, it is, there's a lot of it. 100% of us get this. It isn't about just having ADHD. When you are infatuated with something, there is a, somebody, there is a 20 to 28 months period during which your dopamine levels are very high. Is this similar to like when you have a baby, your oxytocin uh-huh. levels go up really high as a connector, right? This is the same kind of thing, but this is about courtship and coupling. So you have this period, 20 to 28 months, in which the person who has ADHD, and ADHD, by the way, is misnamed. It should be attention um, dysregulation, not attention deficit. It, it doesn't have anything to do with deficit. Uh, It has to do with the fact that your attention is inconsistent. So sometimes you are really hyper-focused on something that's interesting and whatever, rewarding. And sometimes you can't focus at all because the thing isn't as as interesting. So dopamine is part of the attention and reward systems. And so if something feels rewarding, you can pay attention to it. So the extra dopamine that you get it means that the person is hyper-focused on you. That's why I call it hyper-focused courtship. <clears throat> and then it falls off. Often will fall off like rapidly. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to the little, boom, gone. And uh, it's a shock to a, the relationship. And lots of times, it feels so good that lots of times these couples get get partnered up or married before they get to the end of that 20 to 28 month period. Uh Uh And so this is a new, a shocking thing. 
And then they get into the sort of everydays of life. So, so if you have low levels of dopamine, the, the medications for ADHD address low levels of dopamine, among other things. Um, and so that's why they work because they bring the levels of dopamine back up, either by inhibiting the removal of dopamine or by adding the production of dopamine. And so that's why, as uh, treatments go, in that leg one physiological treatment area, um, the um, uh, medications are some of the most effective ways to approach that part of ADHD. You should also get better sleep, you should also exercise, you know, the other things. You should also do mindfulness training. So the other things that also change the brain, but medication has, uh, is the easiest way uh, to get a pretty big effect on how to manage ADHD, how to calm that brain, how to stay focused longer, uh, how to uh, uh, manage your um, big emotions better. Um, all of those can be addressed with medications. Mm. Managing the big emotions better. That reminds me of a, I was going through your recommended, by the way, your website is uh, just like, it's amazing. There is so much gold in here. Um, but in your books and resources, I found that you had referenced Harriet Lerner um, talking about her book with anger. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. What's the connection there of why you would recommend Harriet Lerner's book on anger? Um, but it sounds like it's all about being able to manage those big emotions and learning how to manage them. Well, you know, interestingly, actually, I recommend that book often for non-ADHD partners oh. uh, because they're in this situation where they keep trying really hard to get their partner to change, to be uh, less volatile, to be more dependable, to, you know, and there's the part of of not knowing about ADHD and being married to somebody who has ADHD is you're trying to push them in the direction uh, where they are a um, more participatory, more partner-like partner. And, um, and that brings with it over time a lot of frustration. So the divorce rates for people who uh, are in relationships impacted by ADHD or people who have ADHD are the same when they're younger and then they go up to about double the regular population as people have been in these relationships for a long time. And that's a reflection of the build of frustration and other things that yeah. happen over time because these problems are intractable. It's not about willpower. It's about how the brain works. They're intractable Good. until you know about the ADHD and until you start managing it. And so it's a, this, a, the other partner is, is constantly pushing and they eventually they just become angry. Like, why aren't you paying attention to me? This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, and yeah. then it, and then they need to realize what Lerner does really well is say, hey, look, these are circular things, which they are. These are patterns. These are repetitive patterns. You need to step out of the circle and change how that circle is by definition by stepping out of it. And so that's why I recommend that very regularly, actually, for non-ADHD partners who have the Ugh. ability to do that. The people with the ADHD, their anger issues actually need to be addressed at the more chemical level because it's actually <laughs> being created by the chemistry of their ADHD. So you said something a little bit earlier that like, I, maybe not surprisingly, Laura's got all these questions about the, the ADHD partner and I've got all these questions about the non-ADHD partner and we, neither one of us is diagnosed or married <laughs> to anybody in those specific kinds of, but the, but the residue is there. But I... Um, I feel like I spend a lot of time in my couple sessions anyway, 
trying to invite the non-ADHD partner to empathy. And you said something a little bit earlier, which was, you know, get them to stop dictating and start to coordinating. How do you, how do you recommend or help them, uh, you know, envision that as a, as a strategy when they probably come in going, I do this and I do that and do the other thing. What's the, what's the shift they need to make to help them lean into more of this, like maybe empathetic coordination? This is one of the issues. I'm going to burst your bubbles here on the Gottman stuff. This is actually one of the That's issues okay. with Gottman and ADHD. Okay. So the Gottman it, broadly is get the partners to partner and then fix their problems. ADHD therapy works the opposite way. Have them start fixing uh, their problems and then get them to partner. Okay. And so actually- Go for path, it. I want to hear all about that. Okay. The path to empathy- for partners who are impacted by ADHD is actually a path of education. You have to get them out of their denial that they play a role. The classic way that they'll come into your office is, if my partner with ADHD would just fix the ADHD, everything would be fine. And the person sure. with ADHD is saying, if my partner without ADHD would actually just stop being so angry at me, everything would be fine. And uh, what that means is neither one is taking full responsibility for their own input into the relationship. Yep. So yep. my challenge when I start with somebody is make sure they understand everything they need to know about ADHD, which is why I, one of the reasons why I give this couples seminar and why I've been writing books and all of that, um, and get them to the point where they say, aha, I actually need to focus on my stuff, do mm -hmm. my stuff, and stop blaming my partner. And then at that point, you can start doing the work, which is all of the strategies to put the structures in place to start to lessen that parenting behaviors, whatever. And it is it sort of goes side by side. They can't wait for each other, but uh, you're able to let go of some of the parenting behaviors uh, more easily if the ADHD partner has actively said, yes, I am willing to engage with the fact that I have ADHD and start to work to manage it better, and here are the arenas, and here's how I'm doing it. I'm working with a, a counselor or a coach or whatever, um, and I'm putting a schedule in place. I'm doing this and that. And then there's some hope for that non-ADHD partner that things will actually change. It's almost impossible to get somebody to be empathetic towards, uh, I mean, you can get them to understand intellectually, yeah, they have ADHD, this isn't as personal as I thought it was, but it's really <laughs> hard to make their days better if there's no hope whatsoever of anything changing because their partner is still escaping them, is defiant, is deciding they don't have anything to do with this, that it's all about them. You know, nothing's going to change for them. So the first challenge is to get them both on board with saying, oh, I need to put my best version of myself into this relationship start making the changes on both sides and then and then you can do the work of connecting them but not before because there's just too many repetitive injuries going on every single day here's one of the questions we had Ari Tuckman on and it, it, it this was quite a while ago years ago but he he came on to talk about um i believe this book is AD, ADD or ADHD after dark talking about the role of sex in these relationships. Can you speak a little bit to um, sex and intimacy and how these relationships may be impacted? Yeah, I like Ari, and I actually helped him design that research. So we All know right. each other pretty well. 
<laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So sex and intimacy, uh, uh, unfortunately, by the time folks are coming to see you guys, um, the vast majority of the people who have con- who find me are not having sex um, and do not feel intimate. The, the, the symptomatic behaviors and the um, angry frustration, all of that stuff have made it so, and, and the, the tr- breaks of trust, which are very significant, have made it so that people don't really feel as if they are, they're able to be intimate with each other. And they don't trust each other um, on many different um, levels, um, both emotionally and in terms of what they're doing or not doing, um, you know, in the relationship. Um, so that, uh, is something that, uh, once again, once the, both people are bought into the idea that they themselves can in fact create change on their side and they are only responsible for their own work, um, and need to, you know, so a lot of the work that I do around this parent child dynamic has to do with boundaries and it isn't boundaries as in what my partner cannot do. It's boundaries as, uh, like in Terry Cole's model, which is how do I align my personal values with my own behavior. A non-ADHD partner uh, who is being, uh, you know, who is taking on somebody else's responsibilities and deadlines or who is being critical or mean is probably not living in alignment with their personal values. And so that yeah. is a good way to help uh, people motivate around a new way of thinking um, same thing with the uh, ADHD partners, you know, um, getting into um, thinking about what it is they want to do. They have more complications. Uh, the boundaries work is really effective, though, for the non-ADHD partners. And it's one of the best ways in to really thinking about, hey, regardless of how I feel about how I don't understand why my partner is like this and I don't like the way that they're not being partnered with and they're not being a good partner with me. I can at least start taking control of how I behave and also start thinking. And she does a a three-tiered look at um, values, like what's really, really, really important, what are deal breakers Uh all the way down to, yeah, what is just a want. And it helps people in neurodiverse relationships take a look at what it is that is really important to them that they absolutely positively have to pursue both for themselves and with their partner, and what they can let go of. There's a lot of stuff like how the kitchen is cleaned up or whether there are papers on the countertop or whatever, which are actually major sources of strife when people don't have a sense of what their own value dimensions of their own values are. And once they actually <laughs> overtly take a look at that, they can go, you know, that's not as important as this other thing. And the other things tend to be things like paying enough attention to each other which is not currently happening in the relationship in a positive way. The attention is typically negative. And, uh, and so really trying to reorganize them about presenting themselves differently in the relationship. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Thank you. No, it was, it was wonderful. And it's nice to hear that you have, um, ties and connections with Ari and that you've been working with him and, um, yeah. I mean, I know one of the things that Ari says is, look, you got to become more dependable in order to be <laughs> able to have an intimacy in a sex life, right? He says, you know, the path to better yeah. sex is doing dishes. That's one of the things that came out of his research, uh-huh. I mean, gen- generically. Uh, but, uh, but it's true because it's representative of a much larger thing that they're doing, which is 
managing the ADHD, overcoming the symptomatic issues that lead them to avoid or to not remember or to not be structured enough or uh, not see what, you know, what their partner's needs are. Um, and so it, that, you know, it's a joke, uh, do the dishes, have sex, but it shows up not only in Ari's research, sure but also actually in the general marriage research. Totally. Yeah. I have a funny Ari Tuckman story, which is I was, uh, I was visiting, we were over in New Jersey for a vacation and my, my cousins lived there and they were talking about their family and their life. And they said, yeah, we took our, we took our kid to see this ADHD specialist, one of the best. And I go, was it Ari Tuckman? And they were like, <laughs> their whole brain, brain like blew up. Cause I, like, how would I know the <laughs> name of the specific person? Cause I live in Seattle, but I am definitely a hundred percent putting Melissa Orlov on our list because um, I, I can't even, I can't even believe that people don't, well, I can't even believe that I only learned about you a month and a half ago and that <laughs> you're not bl blowing the whole thing up because, uh, it's definitely, like I said, at the top of our time, I feel like every other inquiry I get right now is, is about how does ADHD affect the thing. So I've been pointing people in your direction toward your book, toward your workshops. Tell me, uh, you know, again, if, if people want to find you and they want to work with you, give me the elevator speech, tell us how to help people, uh, connect with Melissa Orloff. So they can find me at my website, which is ADHDmarriage.com. And uh, I, do have an, I do have a contact thing where people can send me personally um, a message. I might or might not, uh, it might not reach me completely or it might, I, I don't always answer, but I try. Uh, but the, uh, I have a consulting group where people can, um, who are interested in getting assistance can, um, can meet with somebody that I, have trained and have and do work with. We meet weekly to talk about the cases and et cetera. And I have a couple seminar, which I think is actually uh, one of the best ways to get into the topic. Uh, at the moment, it's nine weeks long. It may turn into ten. I'm not sure because um, there's just a lot of information to give. Uh, but it really does help couples uh, see their relationship in a new light and start uh, gives them tools for improving uh, what they're doing. Um, for people who don't want to do that, there's website resources and my books. Um, the first one, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, is a really good introduction to what goes on in these relationships and what the patterns look like and some of the things that you need to do, the steps that you go through uh, to improve things. And for those who are professionals, uh, there's a book called The Distracted Couple, uh, mental health professionals that gets at the, the issues that people face. Uh, I did a couple of the sort of baseline chapters on how to work with these couples in that book as well. So there's a lot of information out there, and I'm delighted to hear that um, that the people are coming to you and saying, we think ADHD might be an issue because that's a huge improvement over 10 years ago when uh -huh. nobody knew about it. Um, so that's really great. Well, it seems like you can't throw a rock in Seattle without hitting some neurodiversity topic or some something that people are starting to think about outside of the sort of the box of the the standard this is how you do it kind of thing so i'm yeah. I, I i'm just so grateful to have resources well i would be happy to talk with you guys another time you can talk about rebuilding trust or we can talk about you know something in more depth the parent child stuff in more <laughs> depth or whatever you want that's fine uh, because there's a lot of richness here and also when i start describing this uh, a lot of people recognize uh, themselves in it or, or parts of themselves. It, I literally cannot go to a party and tell people what I do without having an extended conversation I about I it. personal experience with ADHD. So 
What do you what do you tell folks when you're on an airplane and they say, what do you do for a living? What is the cover story so that you don't end up talking about your professional life the entire flight? Uh, you know, actually, I don't mind talking about my professional life. I've gotten pretty good at making that short conversation. I just tell them, you know, I work in mental health um, with couples uh, where one or both adults has ADHD and, and help them improve their lives. And Sometimes people jump on it and sometimes they don't. But if they do, you know, one of the biggest things for me actually is building awareness. It's uh, because mm. this is not something that pe- as many people know about as should. And so um, it's important to get out there and talk about it with people. Well, my mind is blown. And I know that you have your your live seminar, but I just I've been really kind of absorbed into your website. But it looks like you also have a way for folks if they don't have the live seminar, they can do the self-study seminar as well, um, which is pretty spectacular. And again, the website is ADHDmarriage.com. Thank you so much, Melissa, for your time. I know that you are uh, a busy woman and uh, we appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing awareness with our listeners. Well, thank you. Oh, you guys, I'm giggling so hard. If I just, uh, do you ever have those, uh, talk about shame. Um, there, I had like a little bit of shame doing that interview where I was trying to construct these questions for Melissa, who I have just like so much respect for. And my brain is firing in all these different directions. And I'm like, come on, just say the question, ask the question, Laura, just do it. And anyway, that's what it looks like to um, have an interview with a probably perhaps neurodivergent brain asking someone, a professional, where you're just trying to show up as your best self. Goodness gracious. Thank you. That, that, that was an amazing interview. Um, again, I want you to I want you to go to this website uh, because the resources are endless. It's ADHDmarriage.com. Um, and we are just so appreciative of having Melissa Orlov on. She was fantastic. Thanks for all of your time and attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.